Well, this is one of those Great. webinars that I've been re really looking forward to it for a long time. And uh, I just appreciate everybody attending here on it today. And uh, I, I want to kind of give a little bit of a background here of how I uh, met uh, Rowan Altwood from, uh, from Wrangler Jeans. So I think it was about two years ago in St. Louis. Uh, I uh, was there for a Soil Health Institute, I guess you'd say at a conference. And I remember seeing on the program that this guy from Wrangler Jeans was gonna speak. And I honestly, and I'm not sure Rowan if I've ever told you this, I honestly thought it was a motivational speaker. Uh, I, I just thought, you know, what's what's Ranger Jeans have to say about cover crops? And I thought, well, this will be interesting what this guy has to say. And so uh, it wasn't long to realize, oh, okay, you could argue he's a motivational speaker, but it was totally different than I that I uh, thought. And, and actually, Rowan, you did very very much motivate me. But uh, the fact that I heard that Ranger Jeans was actually interested in soil health and cover crops. Uh, I was just like blown away, and uh, because you know I've been I've been you know, preaching this message for years and years and years, and never had a we'll just we'll just call it a large entity be able to promote cover crops in a way that I soon grasped this could really be meaningful. So Rowan, that's how I'm going to introduce you. Uh, I'll just say too that you know you invited me down to your group there about two uh, a year ago, I guess it was. And it's, it's a good good to see what you're doing in there in your headquarters in North Carolina. But uh, hey, thanks so much for joining us today and spending a little time with us. So, so talk to us a little bit about Rangers doing in uh, in the context of cover crops and soil health. And go ahead, take it away. All right, great. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. And um, I do have a couple special guests, as as Steve mentioned, um, Michelle Lovejoy with uh, North Carolina Soil. Uh, foundation is, is here, has joined us. We have um, Rod Snyder from Field to Market. We'll also have him chime in as well because we, we want to share a little bit about the field print calculator that we use. Sorry, sorry, Steve, I invited all these folks I forgot to mention. That's okay. Uh, and even David Beard. No problem. Uh, he's with the North Carolina Cotton Producers Association, and we've been working awesome. on some projects as well. So awesome. um, I'm glad to, to show up in full storm. And, and what Steve was referring to just last year, we, we, we do host this annual um, conference here either at the Wrangler headquarters or just down the street at, at one of our research parks, um, specifically on land stewardship practices where we put a focus on cover crops, conservation tillage, uh, and rotation for the FFA, for Future Farmers of America, the youth. We do get out some some ag students who don't participate in the FFA, some 4-H students if, if their parents will let them come. So we just finished that uh, third annual conference this past Saturday, poorly planned with the holiday, but it's a continuation of our effort. Uh, Wrangler's been supporting FFA for more than 50 years. It's a longstanding partnership, and it's something that we really value to, to you know continue to work with the youth on. Um, so I just have a few slides. I want to breeze through some of them kind of quickly and then get to the heart of some of the cover crops. You know, as a, as a large brand, as a major entity, uh, a, a global uh, apparel brand, we face a lot of critique every day on how we operate in the world, whether it be our manufacturing practices and where we manufacture labor and a wide variety of issues that you can imagine. And occasionally we get this question about where does your cotton come from? How's it grown? And, uh, and those, those advocates have a, a strong point of view, 
um, about supply chain activity and the way that nutrients end up in waterways and the way that agricultural land is practiced. And so inherently in there is, is, a, is a conflict, is a, is a challenge, is a people challenging uh, us or challenging society. And as, as we know, as, as we have to produce more food in an increasingly growing population with all the constraints of climate, weather, profitability, insects, pests, uh, rising costs, uh, you know, land, um, land prices, that uh, these are just uh, additional concerns that, you know, we, we, uh, we have to mitigate and be aware of. And we kind of took some of our original lessons before we met Steve around from, from, from nature, from range management. You know, we were looking at different practices that were going on in grassland management and, and how some of the, the, uh, the adaptive multi-paddock grazing or, or use of animal management was really adding some value back to nature systems, bacteria, fungi, mycorrhizal biology, how having a, a grazing period. And if you think about Wrangler, Wrangler was created in 1947 as a gene for that person in the saddle, right? We were learning about um, how that person who we developed the original gene for was managing their future impacts more sustainably. And what we learned was better grazing periods for the grasses, better recovery time. Uh, and we were inspired by this. And we asked ourselves, can we apply this to cotton growing systems? Because that's that's really our number one material input that goes into our product. Um, that's what we have to be responsible for in our supply chain to be considerate and, and, and conscientious of the state Golder critique and the issues. And of course, the answer was yes, yes, you can do these things. Um, we came to learn that the secret is in the soil. And we met folks like Steve, we met folks like the Soil Health Institute where we first met, the Field to Market Tools, um, met our, our local Cotton Producers Association, David Parrish and Michelle Lovejoy. And, and we're starting on this learning journey of what does this mean to, to be a good land steward? What does this mean to protect soil? And cover crops was at the epicenter of that discussion. Um, you know, what we did is we, we did, we looked at research. We simply said, let's evaluate this from a science perspective. You know, frameworks aside, certifications aside, all the critique aside, what does it mean to be a, a sustainable row crop producer, sustainable cotton producer, how can we define sustainable cotton uh, for ourselves as a brand uh, based upon the research? And our first attempt was at, at that was, was a science paper that just said, what is the potential? And we got really excited. We looked at 47 different scientific studies. We relied heavily on the NRCS and, and some of our folks there who, um, who helped uh, uh, provided us with the data, helped us interpret the data, who validated what our, our key findings were. were. Uh, we, we asked the Nature Conservancy to look at the economic benefits because they had a lot of great information about economic benefits of cover and uh, rotation and complex rotation. Uh, and then we went on to write a second paper about, you know, what's really valuable to us as a brand is the idea of, this, of data, of having data. It sounds so sort of benign when I say it, but, you know, getting to this authentic representation of sustainable on-farm practice is exactly what we need to have the confidence to put in front of consumers in a meaningful way to say, hey, we stand behind this. We stand behind our supply chain. They're not negatively contributing uh, in the way that you, you might think. As a matter of fact, we're positively contributing. And that was the key conclusion of, of this uh, report, the first report, the science report, was that cover crops, conservation tillage, complex rotation, three crops in the, in the same field over a five-year time frame, that those were the three sort of um, super important, super valuable things that we wanted to, to, to have 
in our cotton growing systems. We want our cotton growers to be growing other things, peanuts, uh, if you have sandy soils, uh, sorghum, you know, um, corn, uh, soybeans, whatever that might be. Now, we had to also recognize that in some markets, there's there's a limitation to the number of crops that can be grown. Uh, so in some cases, we, uh, we had to adjust that expectation. But the science did say that it was the complex rotation that had uh, the most benefits um, from that. And of course, the use of cover. Um, and what are those benefits? What we learned was that uh, for a grower that was to, to use all three of those combination uh, of practices, the crop rotation, the conservation, the, the conservation tillage, no tillage, and the use of cover, that ultimately it allowed them to sequester three times as much carbon out of the atmosphere where we have an excess and drive it into soils where we have a, a nutrient deficiency, where we can make it available for plants and all the benefits that come um, from having a, a nutrient-rich soil environment. Um, and when we think broadly about how widely these practices are adopted, conservation tillage is one of those practices that, that is widely used and scattered throughout. You know, most of my presentation here, and as you can imagine, are focused on the 17 cotton-growing states. Um, and we're growing cotton in Oklahoma, too, nowadays. Um, but, you know, you can see here sort of the rates of adoption by, by land acreage. This was some of the things that the, the data uh, uh, shared. When it came to cover crops, what we found was there was a, a much lower adoption. Now, again, this is acres planted, not necessarily farmers adopted. Um, we, we, we chose to use this metric to, uh, to, to kind of take a land view and wanted to have it consistent. But I shared these numbers with, uh, with David Parrish, and we had a really interesting conversation. I'd like to introduce him briefly. And Steve, if we could uh, allow him to open up the mic there. Yep. Um, yep. David and I met. Go um, ahead. Yep. See, yeah, uh, it's it's on uh, you, David. If you can hear me. Oh, <laughs> there yep, he is. There it is. Hi, David. I'm here. Hey, hey, Rowan. Awesome. Hey, how are you? Good. So, yeah, David, you um, why don't you just introduce yourselves, uh, yourself, and uh, just some, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty aspirational and and inspiring discussion, you know, at the in Stanley County at the uh, at the let's see, not newbies, it was. Um, that with the Burlinson farm where uh, we were talking about the potential of the use of cover crops in the, in the Southeast, but North Carolina specifically. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rowan. And I, I won't take it much time, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I, I told Rowan, I was a little surprised when I saw that number, uh, the, the 6%, but, uh, but regardless, it, it, it does show that at least in the Southeast and in particular North Carolina, that we are, I guess ahead of the curve, but I, I thought there was a lot of room for improvement uh, in that six percent number. Uh, and I can I can say for certain that over the past couple of years, uh, and really uh, a lot of it has been driven by brands and retailers. Uh, uh, in addition to Wrangler, but many other ones uh, are driving this you know sustainability message uh, specifically in cotton. But it has become a much bigger. Uh, topic of conversation in the in the cotton industry, not just in North Carolina, but really in in the nation. Um, I was just at a meeting a couple weeks ago in uh, out in Dallas, Texas, with the American Cotton Producers, which is part of the National Cotton Council, and uh, a good portion of the meeting was dedicated to the program that that uh, the National Cotton Council, along with Cotton Incorporated, is putting together to uh, you know to address. Um, uh, to address this issue and and really to I mean we feel like we're we're doing a pretty good job when it comes to sustainability. There's obviously room for improvement, 
uh, and soil health is a big part of that. Uh, but uh, we, you know, we're actively put, putting together uh, uh, a program to to really document uh, what we're doing and where we're at, and really the improvements that that we can make for the for the brands and retailers. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's called the uh, U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Um, in addition to the National Cotton Council and Jesse Daystar, who is their uh, VP for sustainability, he was hired a couple years ago. The National Cotton Council has recently created a new position. And uh, as of, I think it was January, their sustainability, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I forget his name and, and exact title, but uh, he is working to develop this uh, this this protocol, this system that's going to be put in place uh, to provide the, the necessary uh, information that brands and retailers, you know, are, are looking. But, uh, but yes, uh, uh, we're here in North Carolina, we're working directly with NRCS and, um, and, and Wrangler. Uh, we've got a project right now that we're excited about. It's, uh, it's using heavy rye, uh, cover crop, uh, and, and rolling it down and, and planting cotton in, in the spring. And certainly that's, that's nothing new, but, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, it takes, uh, just just getting out there and doing it. Uh, the the idea has been around there for a long time, but uh, we feel like it's got a got a place here in North Carolina, and we feel like we're we've got the right people uh, looking into it and and working on it to to really give it a you know give it a fair shake and see if uh, we can get some adoption and get that six percent up and and make make improvements. So uh, I'll, I'll end with that, uh, Rowan. Thank you for the time, and if anybody's got any questions, I'll be glad to try to answer them. Great. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, we have Michelle on the line, too. So we're going to talk more about that, uh, that project of ours um, in just a moment. Um, so just to kind of sum up that, that research report and just uh, the, what we found, this is the quantifiable data. There was three major environmental benefits that came from the use of no-till cover crops and crop rotation. You can see them listed here. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty humble and pretty amazing to think that it's not just the carbon sequestration using soil as a carbon sink, but we have better water infiltration. We have better water retention to help growers in times of both flooding and droughts. And in our own process and moving away from research as we started to work with growers in different regions, um, this has become pretty uh, uh, pretty interesting to, to see. Like, a, a, you know, we think we get a lot of rain here in North Carolina. We do get a lot of rain, 60 inches on average a year. But to go to, say, uh, western Tennessee, where they get 80 inches or more a year, um, and speaking with Eugene Pugh from, from Halls, Tennessee, um, you know, he uses a, a radish cover uh, to kind of create that, um, well, it rots out, but that to create that, that chasm, that, that, that ability for the water to infiltrate back down in the water table, you know, it was pretty impressive stuff to, to see the wide variety of cover crops that were being used. And that kind of got us excited about partnering with North Carolina Foundation for Soil and Water Conservation and North Carolina Cotton Producers Association. Uh, and I believe there's a, another trade group on the soybean side as well that was involved in this project um, to demonstrate the, the benefits of uh, a high uh, residue uh, rye cover crop. Um, and if I could just introduce Michelle Lovejoy real quick, she's executive director at North Carolina Foundation for Soil and Water Conservation, and she helped uh, engineer the project and got us on board. Michelle, can you unmute yourself? There we go. Yep. Good morning, everyone. Um, just 
very quickly, my organization is a nonprofit that's been around for about 20 years now, and we primarily look for ways that build conservation capacity within our state, and our prime partner on all of our projects is that local soil and water conservation district. And we have some other cover crop initiatives that we've been working on um, with Cotton Incorporated, but uh, through some meetings, some of our folks met Rowan, and we saw an opportunity here. And also with talking with David and uh, Rowan was right. The Soybean Growers Association is also a partner in this. We knew it was a good time in North Carolina to start uh, exposing producers to the benefits of heavy rye. They've seen some real good crop yields in some other states and soybean rotation, but we didn't have any data in North Carolina. And our farmers, they, they like to see what comes off the research farms, but then they really want to see it working on a working farm. And that's what this initiative is set up to do. So we've got four different producers that we're working with that planted uh, fall of last year. And we'll have a round of field days September of this year. And they planted uh, 10 acres of cereal or, yeah, cereal rye in a field that's in rotation with cotton and soybean because it's a common rotation for us. And they had the opportunity to do a broad class, broadcast seed or to no-till drill it in. And then two weeks after planning to do a 20 units of nitrogen application. And so now they're just past the April 15th date. So they're in different stages of termination. Some are doing roller crimping. Some are doing a chemical burn down. And our uh, extension agents, the NC State level um, specialists designated to the cotton area and soybean area, they're the ones that are doing our data collection. So Dr. Rachel Van, Dr. Guy Collins, and Dr. Charlie Cahoon is also looking at some pest issues. So they go back to that local soil and water district and that farmer and collect some of the field data. And then we'll have a little bit of time this summer to do some analysis. And then those field days are also going to wrap around our bigger cotton field day that uh, David's group puts on each year. So that's where we are with this. I'd be happy to take any questions. I, I will also say um, one of the requirements that we started when we started doing cover crop demonstrations is all of our uh, sites have been entered into the field to market calculator. And that was a requirement of Cotton Incorporated when we first started. And it just made sense to continue that as we partnered through with Wrangler. And the really neat thing about that is you know, we've got a database where all the data is sitting, but it's also allowed that local producer and that local extension person and soil and water district person to get exposed to what some of these online um, tools are that may become more prevalent in the future. And we get a lot of really good field feedback on some things in the early um, versions that still needed to be worked on. And so we pass those along to our contacts as they worked through the process. I that's hope that's great. what you're looking for, Rome. Was there any other details you wanted me to provide? No, that's just perfect. Um, thank you. And, and Michelle was actually here uh, just on Saturday, so we've been uh, we've been working busily uh, uh, to uh, promote cover crop. She was uh, doing the rainfall simulator and some of the other activities to help educate the youth on. Uh, the use of cover and the use of good land stewardship practices. Thank you, Michelle. You know, one thing that I've been learning too, I, I don't know if I'm going to get this right. I have the luxury of, of, of not being involved in ag. So one thing that I've come to appreciate, and Steve, you can help uh, correct me if this is incorrect, but just the, is it a leopathic nature of this heavy rye residue? 
you know, keeping that, that seed germination of the weeds down and the opportunity that's presented with, with Sudfoot cover is pretty exciting. Yeah. That gets me excited. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is, and I, and you even said it right. I believe that's a hard word to remember, to pronounce. But uh, yeah. we have actually, I've done I've done webinars on that in the past, so uh, it's certainly something that can uh, benefit your cotton rotations. That's for sure. That's great, and I'll just put up the dates. Uh, let's see the next slide here. Here, this bill. You know, if you are in the region, uh, these are the dates for the the uh, the field tours of the actual trial plots and the on farm. Uh, plots that um, you know Michelle and David are, are both working and being a part of. So just to you know continue on a little bit more, um, you know so, you know I'm kind of a sucker for the science and really get excited. This newest report that came out recently uh, got a lot of people excited about the overall the translocation, the movement of soil carbon down into into layers further down, giving almost increased um, uh, uh, viability to this idea that we can use the soils as a carbon sink and I think there was just a, a lot of excitement because if if what this this report and what this this newest science is saying is true then the opportunity for using cover for using land stewardship practices to to create a, a meaningful change to, to global issues is even greater than thought before you know when I, I think about the, the the life of a grower and all the ways that data intersects with that the grower's environment, whether you have a farm management system, whether you talk to other growers, whether you have uh, crop advisors, NRCS, participate in forums like this with, with Steve, um, ag retailers, crop buyers, things that come off the tractor cab or maybe even drones in the future or maybe today. Um, you know, there's this, this ecosystem of data. I mentioned something that is, has become increasingly important uh, to us is, uh, is the ability to, to view and look at that data to create uh, authenticity uh, with the way that things are being managed. And so one thing that we've done in our evolution of our program is we've partnered um, with a, a really important group, a group that uh, has a, a responsibility to, um, to, to ultimately uh, guide the metrics to be able to allow us as brands to have a, a communication across supply chain and industry. And that group is the Field to Market, the Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture, uh, which Rod Snyder is, is the uh, executive director of. Um, and what that means is, what and I, I want Rod to chime in here as I show these spider grams, but what this, what this means is, is that growers are inputting data into a software platform that gets pinged over into these metrics, and we can look at the overall um, value of, of those sustainable practices. So the screenshot here is just, the, the dashboard where a grower, one of our growers, we, there's five growers that we have in our portfolio that we've uh, expanded. We've gone past science and we're now interacting with growers and saying, hey, what is possible on farm? What is meaningful and what is meaningful from your practices standpoint and how does that result in, uh, in real world impact? And so um, this is a screenshot of that, that, that view that a, a farmer would see that the year, the crop, the field that they're entering for. And you can see here the planting prescription, the fertilizer prescription, spraying, you know, how many tractor passes are going through. And ultimately this, this module is geared towards cotton, but you choose other crops and it toggles down. And so this My Farms platform has connectivity with the field to market uh, uh, and the field print calculator that, that Michelle had mentioned. And the result is that, <clears throat> excuse me, Excuse me. I just need to uh, drink some water here. <laughs> <laughs> the, re <clears throat> the result is that we uh, 
<clears throat> we get these data sets. Sorry, I was just talking so fast. I think my tongue mm-hmm. got away with me. Uh, <clears throat> we get these uh, these metrics and these results. And what you're seeing here is three different growers out of the, the five growers that we work with. Um, and this is a, a spidergram representing their, their, their performance, if you will. And each one of those is different metrics, and it's, it's helping us to inform where they sit uh, in this spectrum of performance. And I've had permission with all my growers to be able to share this um, uh, as long as it's anonymized, because that's important, uh, important trust that we have between us. But what you can see here is that the dots represent the, both a state and a national benchmark. And if the, the green area is inside those dots, then that means that um, we're, we're doing well. Um, that we're, we're performing better than sort of the state and national averages. But I want to introduce Rod here, maybe just, um, Rod, if you want to share more about the, you know, the, the Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture and what goes into the thinking in a tool like this, it's, it's some pretty impressive yeah. work. Yeah, thanks, Rowan. Um, appreciate the opportunity to talk for a moment about it. Um, so just a little bit of background. Uh, Field to Market is a, a, a nonprofit, multi-stakeholder alliance, more than 140 companies and organizations across the food and ag supply chain uh, in the United States, um, cotton being one of about a dozen crops that we work with here in the U.S. And really the premise uh, when we got started was that lots of companies, organizations uh, are asking more and more about sustainability, and a lot of consumers are asking more and more about sustainability but how we define that really matters. And um, being able to look at it through a science-based lens, through metrics that are meaningful to consumers, but also to growers, um, felt really important to us. And so we, how do we translate really complex agronomic decisions at a farm level um, into some science-based outcomes that could also be reported um, within supply chains or uh, to consumers within storytelling, et cetera. And so um, what's really exciting about the work that, that Wrangler is doing is that, you know, they're really focused on a handful of, of practices that can help drive the needle on multiple outcomes. And, uh, you know, the, there are co-benefits, corollary benefits uh, that come with no-till, with cover crops, with complex rotations that span from uh, soil carbon and, and water quality and, uh, and, and water infiltration and, uh, and erosion a lot of and even and greenhouse gases, um, there are eight different outcomes that are measured within field to markets program, and the practices that Wrangler has selected um, touch most of them. And so it's really exciting to see a, a brand like Wrangler um, dive into the science and work with growers on some practical some practical application, and then to be able to measure these results. And we do have um, a pretty complicated or a, a pretty robust process um, across our membership for how we establish these metrics. We basically come to an agreement on how we're measuring these things. We have peer-reviewed science that must go into determining exactly how much uh, you know uh, greenhouse gas emissions are estimated for various practices. Um, we also use USDA and RCS tools when it comes to things like soil erosion. Uh, we look at irrigation efficiency uh, estimates. Um, a lot of process goes into the background that then uh, is translated into our data tool, the field print platform, um, that brings to life those metrics at a field scale. And so what you're seeing here on this screen are really the results of three different farmers. Um, and what you want is a shrinking footprint. So you have, you have less environmental impact 
per unit of production, uh, in this case, cotton. Uh, and as Rowan pointed out, all of these growers are doing a really great job. They're performing it better than the state and national average. And we also talk about a journey of continuous improvement and how um, as producers think about um, more and more ways to innovate, as they think about different conservation practices that they can adopt moving forward, you can actually measure um, the improved performance at a field scale and then also roll all that up in the aggregate, which can help tell a story about Wrangler's supply chain, for example, or any other company that's participating in the program. And so um, bringing science and data to life in a meaningful way, not only to the farmer, but also to the supply chain partners as well. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Ron. You, uh, you really encapsulated that very well. And that's, uh, that's exactly why I invited you to the call, <laughs> because uh, there's so much that goes behind visualizations that it's, uh, it's really a, an impressive process. And it's one reason that we continue to be a member of Field the Market and uh, see it as a valuable way to communicate across the supply chain, as Rod said. And Rod said something else that was important, this idea of continuous improvement. You know, we're not, we're not claiming that we, we're going to get it right as a brand um, all the time, but we're going to have a lot of focused effort and we're going to have a lot of goodwill behind the initiatives that we do do. And, you know, it's what is exciting for us. And after 18 months of, of working um, uh, to understand the science and engaging with folks like Steve and our NRCS team and getting to those benchmarks um, and then meeting growers and actually practically talking about what works, what doesn't work. And, and you saw the, the results of the field print uh, calculator there. Um, we decided to put this up into product. And so just last week on Thursday, we launched the first two states of our collection with those I mentioned, the five growers. Um, we launched our, our Texas and Alabama gene in something that we call the Rooted Collection. And we're really excited about this because we're this is st storytelling. This is the opportunity to, um, to articulate a grower story, a grower commitment to being a good land steward. Each of those growers, as you saw, is using cover crops uh, in their own form or fashion. Um, we didn't specify what type. You know, this is, we're not claiming to be agricultural experts. We're just, we're, we're really using this as an opportunity to, to tell a positive and meaningful story about U.S. You know, US cotton growers that are, are doing an incredible amount of work on farm every day. And so this is a fully traceable program that the cotton that goes into that gene, and you can kind of see if you can squint, there's a little, Texas state silhouette on the Wrangler patch there. There's all kinds of what we call surprise and delight trims involved with this, including on the inner pocket, we have a signature of the grower certifying that this cotton came from his farm, is proud of the way that they produce it in a, in a responsible and sustainable way. Um, we're putting these these this product, it's up on our website now. There's a connectivity to our social media and there's a, a grower story. There's actually a video for each grower or grower family that kind of describes where they're from and, and what they're about. So we're really excited about it. This is one part of our journey uh, and, and, and continuous improvement in, in terms of trying to, to, to demonstrate our commitment going forward. You know, if you go to the microsite there, North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee will be the states that follow um, come July 4th. Uh, we kind of staggered our launch here, wanted to get some out for Earth Day and get some out around the July 4th weekend. But it is a product that we felt like something so inherently um, trying to communicate so much value that we wanted to make this a, a fully made in the USA product, that we wanted to make sure that, um, that it 
it sort of emulated all of the the important values that we we put into it. And so uh, the the individual cotton comes from each of those different states and the farms. Uh, it was all sent to a place called Tryon, Georgia, a town called Tryon, Georgia, and a place called Mount Vernon Mills. And then from Mount Vernon Mills, that's where they take the the fiber and put it into yarn and then that yarn up into fabric and make the fabric. The fabric leaves uh, Tryon, Georgia is actually shipped back to Texas where it went to El Paso with a small uh, manufacturer there that does cut, sew and laundry uh, called Excel Manufacturing out of, out of Texas and then to our distribution facility uh, that's also in Texas. Um, but each one of those states represents a, a growing family that is using cover crops. Um, conservation tillage and the rotation. So that's our update. That's what we got for you now. That's uh, sort of the where we've been through the past 18 months and sort of where we've arrived with uh, with all of our commitments and interests. Well, that's excellent. Yeah. Rowan, so good to hear you and Rod, Michelle, and David who joined in. I, I wasn't expecting that, but that really, really rounded it out well. And uh, I guess in the spirit of you said little surprises here and there, uh, with even the way your jeans are made, I appreciate uh, your, your commitment. It just tells me that you are – I've been telling people that Ranger is for real. And uh, you've even took that up another notch today by bringing some other people in. So so now it's your turn. Those who are listening in, now is your chance to ask any questions uh, that you may have. I'm sure there are some. So uh, just unmute yourself. And uh, who has the first question for Rowan or any of the other team that's on here today? Well, Steve, this Anybody is Dan. Ever? Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I'm just curious. So if I wanted to buy a pair of the the from the Rooted Collection, uh, are they going to be the same price as the other Wrangler jeans? Uh, no. So these are at a premium price um, today. Well, I mean, other Wrangler jeans. <laughs> We're a funny brand. Um, we we sell sort of what we call the uh, the honest working man's jean at $10 a pair through, through a Walmart distribution. Right. And then from, uh, all the way to a premium, uh, sort of, uh, premium market play there, you can buy a, a selvage pair of denim jeans for $224. I would never buy that. <laughs> there's people out there that will, um, now there's, it's, it's, it's how the value is conveyed that goes up and down that distribution from $10 to two hundred and twenty-four dollars. What what's what is the difference between that? Um, there's there's quite a bit actually. There's the the actual physical makeup and um, and the, the the amount of time and energy that goes into the the design and the style. Um, sometimes now this is hard for me to say sometimes and maybe hard for you to hear. But there's this trend that's been going on where we it's an increasing synthetic trend where they've been uh, adding spandex and polyester to jeans. What was largely a 100% 100% cotton category has really been influenced like, by yoga pants, uh, brands like Lululemon, Under Armour. Um, and we've had to be responsive to that. And yet at the same time, think forward in the future about, you know, what, what, what does this mean for our overall composition makeup? So what was used to be 100% cotton is now uh, moving to about 80% cotton. That's about the max we would want to go with synthetic content. But some of the innovation and design projects that I have on my plate is like, well, what would it take if we could actually use, you know, corn-based polyester and, and continue to support uh, those growers that are doing this, this effort and broaden our, um, 
broaden our initiatives. We're, we've been very interested in, in the American hemp revival and what that means for growers that can have a new crop to produce and a lot of tobacco growers uh, uh, in Kentucky that are looking at that. And there's a, a processor out there that we're working with on a project. And I was even just in South Dakota recently where they were saying that, you know, flax is, is pretty common uh, in that geography or has the potential to be common in, in that geography. And I think that extends all the way up into Canada. So, I mean, we're really thinking while cotton is our primary input, and I, I don't want to deviate from your question because I want to circle back to it, um, you know, how do we continue to, to be inspired by nature to have this, um, all of this, um, this, this just the, the land stewardship connected to everything that we do, and maybe there's a future for plant-based indigo. But all of that requires a certain amount of R&D and investment. The, the, the cost of this is what we consider a premium play. The rooted collection is, is, a, is a $99 pair of jeans. Um, but you can see if you go through the website, all of the design elements that show up on that jean uh, are intended to, to really sing pop. That were intended to sort of demonstrate state pride. And every time we do that, we add costs. We add a cost. We add a cost because we're doing these customized embellishments and, and printings and that type of thing. Um, so, but our future vision of this is this is the premium expression as a way to, um, to communicate with consumers. And um, Steve and I were talking this right before we joined the call is how do we then take this idea of sourcing sustainable cotton and this connectivity to grower and bring it even into the $10 pair of jeans? Because the sustainable attribute should not be, someone should not be choosing between can I afford this and, you know, do I want to be able to support this type of activity and practice? That's, that's not a fair choice that ultimately we had to do this at a premium level to be able to make a proof point in the market. But now my next job and over the next 18 months, I'm going to be trying to figure out how to scale back that cost and bring it into sort of what we would call, consider more of a, an everyday gene. Uh, that's part of our, our charge and, and people know we're actively working on that. But as you can imagine, there's a, a lot of uh, different factors and commercial factors that I'm going to have to navigate in order to be able to do that. Good. Well, Dan, you can buy at least one pair for that. I mean, come on, you know. I know, but this I is have a, this to go is a to movement. Do I have to go to, to Texas to do that? <laughs> I think <laughs> the comfort of your office, actually, if, uh, you can order right online. But uh, uh, okay, yeah, okay. Well, I, I guess that does lead into another question, Rowan, and I know people are thinking it, uh, and we need to address this because. Uh, yeah. What does the what does a farmer get out of this? Uh, I mean, how does that how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think that so first of all, it's it's early. We're still figuring it out, um, but I, I think we recognize that um, you know typically, I mean, let's just be totally transparent that supply chains are are not kind <laughs> to our businesses, right? That ultimately, when the the price of cotton dips that somehow improves the margin of apparel when it goes high it decreases the margin of apparel and and it's it's the the commodities market is not always uh, just it's just not kind to uh, the various different actors what is a way to improve on that process i'm not sure we know yet you know i'm not sure that we we quite have an answer to that um you know i, I do know that you know if if, if we were to articulate a, a value proposition where we were to you know pay extra for cotton that next, that you know, within our supply chain and, and to the growers, that fundamentally wouldn't be popular from sort of a, a brand leadership or cost of goods perspective on our side of the business. So we've had to stop and say, well, okay, well, what? 
if we can't do that, then what are we going to do? What does that mean? What, what can we pay for? Or how can we extend value back? And that's where we've been wanting to, uh, and this is the direction that we're headed, is maybe we can't pay an extra premium for sustainable practices in cotton growing. Let's face it, no one necessarily pays us as a denim manufacturer for having enhanced wastewater treatment at our manufacturing plant, that these things are ultimately becoming uh, sort of expectations. But that that's still doesn't feel right. There still needs to be some sort of market mechanism to, 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 to extend throughout the supply chain. Maybe the solution is let's pay for data. Then we recognize there's amount of time required to, to engage with us and to put data into the platform, that there's a, an exchange, a value exchange that is based upon the sharing of information as opposed to the actual practice. So it's not a, a, a per pound sort of commodity type pricing situation, but let's at least uh, you know, demonstrate our, our commercial mechanism back in, in compensating for, for exchange of data um, because there's value in that. Now, again, anonymous keep that uh, autonomy, um, but we need to be able to roll that up so we can report to various different stakeholders that we're doing a good job. Um, and other ways too, um, you know, maybe it's not necessarily just this single uh, once a year trying to sell your products into market and, and, and cross your fingers, hope that it works, that maybe it's a multi-year relationship and that we have a, a five-year commitment to working with you and that there's a, a a home for the cotton, uh, meeting the quality specs that we need. Um, so these are all the different sort of things that we're engaging. And then the software is an investment that we've made and we don't charge our growers for that. That's something that we've, we've, uh, we've made available to them as a way and they can use that to communicate, not just to, to us, but they can also, that's their, uh, field print, Calculator. That's their field print sort of uh, of uh, results. So they can use that to make strategic choices on farm, but they can also use it to market their cotton to other folks as well. So we think there's there's additional value extension there. So it's not an easy answer, you know. Um, naturally, I would love to be able to say, hey, you know, we we pay a premium for per pound of cotton. Um, but as the the market exists right now, the way it's structured, it doesn't lend it doesn't it doesn't allow us to do that very well at all. Uh, now it's not to say that there won't be a market of the future, and you know I hope that I hope that we're a part of building a market of the future. But um, we've been ha we've had to be very creative on how we're going to demonstrate uh, our desire for these practices and and how we'll ultimately um, you know create value back for the growers that choose to participate with us. And I guess the last part is just an opportunity to tell the story. If there is value in that, if you know our five growers have found it really rewarding to. To come out to be able to to, to share their their local their story of their of how they farm and, and who they are as a family and, and put that it might not appeal to everyone I recognize I mean if I was uh, in agriculture I might just be that lone wolf who never talks to anybody except for Steve <laughs> jump on these calls but, uh, but you know I, I think that for these guys they really felt like that you know they they're active they participate in you know, the, the cotton, the cotton uh, industry and the cotton board. And, um, but they think it's really important that we change the narrative around uh, how agricultural producers interact with the world. And to them, this has been a good platform for that. Yeah. So good. Okay. Other questions, Jen. Yeah, I, um, I think that same kind of question comes up a lot in terms of crop advisors, you know, like what is their role in this process? Um, and is, is there any incentive for them to participate uh, in this as well? Yes, that's a great question. 
I'm not sure I have an answer to that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so far, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've just simply looked towards the leading practitioners, the leading growers uh, that use all of their existing crop advisors um, and that have received that, that, that guidance uh, sort of as what is now their business as usual. Um, you know, I recognize that, you know, you know, if you're working with a, a grower that doesn't have as, as tightly of a clustered field print in that in that spidergram, that you know there there could be a potential way to help a lower performing farmer. You know, please excuse my language there, but but a grower that's maybe struggling to adopt practices or not having as much success or has had challenges, um, there might be a way to create a mechanism to involve the you know the uh, the advisors to help accelerate that trajectory. Steve, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, uh, no, I saw Michelle had turned her mic on. Michelle, did you have something to add to that? Because in a way, you kind of play that role a little bit. Um, go ahead. I was just going to add, at the very least, you know, we'll reach out to those crop advisors and make sure they know when those cover crop field days are happening. And it, it's been a while since we've really done a big outreach push on heavy rye cover crops. I mean, lots of folks know they work well, but we're, we're going to need the crop advisors to understand what's going on in the field just as much as the farmer because they are one of the key trusted sources that farmers turn to mm -hmm. get advice in North Carolina. Um, and I just would say, I don't know, David, if from a cotton producer standpoint and how they interact with the crop advisors, if you have any comments, I just know across our programs, we've seen that need to engage with them uh, to make sure they know what's going on and that they're they're at the field days, and then from there we'll see where where it makes sense to plug them in. David, do you have any comment on that? Um, yeah, I would just say uh, specifically regarding this this project. I mean, part of the intent was to uh, uh, just to demonstrate it uh, as as we said at the on farm level, and and hopefully that would. Uh, you know, as Michelle just said, at, at some of our field days, we certainly have a lot of uh, crop consultants that come and, uh, and you know, we like working with consultants uh, because, you know, you work with one consultant. It's uh, it's like uh, working with, you know, 10 or 12, 15 different farmers. So so we're hoping that the, the farmers that we're working with on this specific project with Wrangler, uh, they're they're leaders in the industry. They're involved and. Um, uh, you know, hopefully that will, I guess, translate into others seeing it and, and uh, seeing the practice and and the you know the science that goes along with it and implementing it across uh, across other farms. I mean, I, I hope that I hope that's the, the the end result anyway. Yeah, and I'll just follow up uh, to that. Uh, some of those comments, you know, from my my vantage point, I have I've come to realize that. That uh, those who advise farmers are 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 maybe sometimes harder to convince of the benefits of cover crops and soil health because it has to work for them. They they can't have a uh, uh, what should I say? They they got to work because if they're giving advice and they're not convinced that that farmer can pull it off or knows what he's doing in a relatively new topic, you might say with cover crops, they're not apt to promote it. So. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been trying to focus on more now is to train the trainers, uh, so to speak, and to help them become more confident in this. And uh, so I actually think, Rowan, what you've done with Wrangler, I, th I think that's going to turn some heads. 
when when they're like, "Wow, Wrangler Jeans is into this. Uh, I better get on the bandwagon here. I better learn how to do this," and that in turn could incentivize some of these crop uh, crop advisors to do that. So, I hope that discussion is helpful there, uh, Jen, to to answer that. Um, so, Lauren, do you have a comment, Lauren from uh, Iowa? Uh, first of all, I want to applaud uh, Wrangler for what they're doing. I appreciate it. The question I'm going to have, uh, are you looking at aligning with some of the other entities that are coming on board now trying to work with farmers direct? Uh, Indigo Ag is kind of one that's after a lot of us farmers. Uh, FBN is talking, doing something. You know, what I'm asking is more for the other crop mixes and that stuff. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, we've been we've been in a couple conversations with Indigo Ag. Um, you know, I'm I'm we, we haven't made a decision on that. I'm not entirely. You know, I, I think their business model is interesting. I'm still trying to understand it, quite frankly. Um, uh, you know, we're we're very well connected to the the industry wide initiative um, that David was referring to, and I, I know that Rod has a connectivity to as well. That what's called the, the trust protocol in the cotton growing world. Um, which is a, a new initiative to to create um, you know better visibility into into on farm practice. But um, yeah, I, I you know I think that uh, really our big commitments are with with the the the, the field print calculator and, and the field to market uh, group. Um, we do are working with the Soil Health Institute, um, which is an organization out of, of Raleigh, um, and they're doing some additional training. Uh, modules that they're building and they're going to, I believe, six or seven different states. You know, I, I think that what's interesting is when we start to get into soil health metrics, um, there's, they identified over 40 different metrics that could potentially be used um, through one of their working groups. And the question became, well, do we need all 40? <laughs> I mean, what's, what's most meaningful from a grower perspective? Um, we don't want to overbuild these things. And I, you know, I, th I think that's one of the beauties of field to market as well is that we want to have the right metrics we don't want to necessarily have too many and we want them to be reliable and, and usable um, and so you know we really support that approach um, that's pretty much the extent of our reach but I, I really appreciate the question because I have been on calls with with uh, Miller Coors and Campbell Soup and, and different companies just saying hey can we work together like you know is there an overlap here from growers from different regions um, or how can we continue to collaborate? And I think we're we're definitely open to that. We're still sort of in the early stages of that, and we're open to your persuasion as well. If there's something that we're we're not doing and should be doing, and there's something that we should be looking at, you know, I think we're we're all ears because um, that's the, we're, it's still a learning process for us as well. Yeah. As, a, as a farmer right now, I appreciate that because it seems like everybody's grasping for straws. And it'd be nice if the industry all kind of settles on a uniform practice. Can can I, as a farmer, go on to the web a website and enter my data now? That uh, for what you, that matrix you're using? Uh, yes, yes, you can. I mean, I think there's a couple different ways to access it, but yes, that is that is possible. Um, uh, Rod, how would a farmer access the field print calculator today? Yep, it's free and available to any producer. You just go to fieldtomarket.org and click on a button that says the field print calculator, and um, you just you can sign up for a free account there. 
you basically it allows you to select the exact field that you want to evaluate. Um, you use a little bit of like a um, like a drawing tool to to select your field, so the data is specific to the soil uh, and slope and whatnot of that specific field. Yeah, you can do that all through our website and get the exact same type of um, spidergram report out that Rowan showed on these slides. Thank you. I know what you'll be doing this afternoon, Lauren. Well, hopefully it rains more <laughs> play with yeah. that, but that, that sounds very similar. I'm curious what it, you know, we did the interview with Indigo Ag a week or two ago, and that, that's why this has really intrigued me. It's like, okay, they're, they're coming at it from one direction. You know, I'm hearing grounded growth is another one to watch, but, you know, I'm just trying to figure out where, where do I as a farmer jump in at, and, you know, at, at one, what point? And, and I'll just, let me just clarify one thing. Um, you, Indigo is certainly a great program. Field to Market as a nonprofit is a little bit different in that, you know, we're just provide we're trying to provide these science-based tools to, to producers, you know, free of charge. It's not connected to any other product or service. You don't have to buy it. We're basically a pre-competitive tool that lots of different companies can use or take advantage of. So that is one distinction, not, not to say that it's a, uh, either or choice between Indigo Ag or what we're doing. It's just that we're positioned a little bit differently. We're not trying to make money off of this. We're just trying to advance the sustainability conversation here in the U.S. And that, that's what I appreciate, what I hear today, because, I mean, I'll be honest, Indigo sounds like they're grasping for straws. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they heard a lot of words here they never heard before, and we had to explain a lot. You know, they want to go read the bag, but they have, I don't know if they really have a clue what, you know, what 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 they're after and it'd be nice if we have a universal come at it with a universal approach right off the bat yeah and that's that's a good point because one reason that wrangler joined field to market was because of the over 100 different members now it's, you know it's, it's commercially related but all the different brands and mostly food companies uh we were actually the, the first apparel company to join but all the different food companies and 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 support companies you know basf is a member cargill bungie um, you know, they were involved in field to market. We thought that there was value, in, to your point, <clears throat> that there was value in, uh, in joining with the, a platform that most people were, were focused on, rallied around, and, and ultimately supporting because we didn't want to create our own thing as opposed to, to join with the leaders. Yeah. Well, just to follow up okay. with that, maybe a question for Rod here. Um, that's fascinating uh, to know this. I, I have known a little bit about field to market, but not the dynamic. So it sounds like you have cobbled together a bunch of significant companies. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, how, how this could all to Lauren's point, I think that's what Lauren was going after. Let's, let's work at this together and all the, all the dynamics of agriculture from a power apparel to camel soup yep. to what have you. I think that is the key here is that, um, if you look at any crop in isolation, you're missing part of the story because part of what, you know, with rotations and, and the far decisions the farmers right. are making, they're not just growing one crop. And so we have uh, 12 major commodities that are uh, often grown in rotation together. We do have uh, modules for corn and soy and peanuts and cotton and rice, and et cetera. So um, yeah, a grower can evaluate all of those within one one tool. And in fact, you can even get um, feedback on how the rotation is affecting these um, kinds of decisions. So um, yeah, it's all there. And, and a lot of the major companies uh, in, in the ag system in the U.S. are already involved. So hopefully it, you know, it, it does have fairly broad 
recognition. And I'll just, I, I want to mention one other quick thing. We do work very closely with the Certified Crop Advisor Program, with the CCA program in the okay. U.S. Um, they're a member of Field to Market as well. They have, um, we've developed with them um, some sustainability-specific uh, um, webinars and online learning modules. We have some specific documents that are tailored towards helping CCAs understand uh, how they can be a part of advising on sustainability. And you could even go so far as to get a specialization in sustainability through the CCA program for people that really want to nerd out on it you know, entirely. There's a whole uh, test you can take. But we're working very closely with the CCA program because we do think that crop advisors are um, a really critical piece of the puzzle, knowing that for many farmers, that is the first place they're turning around all these, you know, these turning for these kinds of decisions on cover crops and otherwise. So um, we do have information on our website about that as well. Um, and they're happy to follow up with anyone who's interested. Well, good. Thank you. Thank you, Rod, for explaining that. That's very helpful. Um, no problem. Time is winding down, but uh, what other questions does anybody have? Now's, now's your chance. Other questions anybody have for um, for Rowan or anybody well, else? Well, I'm just curious. The heavy cotton, how many pounds of rye, rye are we talking about? You mean the heavy the heavy rye um, grass that are the heavy sugar yeah. rye they're planting into? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. We have four we test crops. Michelle, help me out here. Did you? Did, yeah, I don't know if you're still on there, Michelle, but uh, do you have any biomass weights or? How, how, I guess that's what you're asking, Dan. How, how heavy are we talking about? Yeah. And we don't have that data yet because this was just our first year we planted, but I'd be happy to share that data back with you guys once we have the results. And okay. I mean, they're out in the field right now collecting samples. But I mean, are you Good. using like a hundred pounds of seeding rate? Seeding rate. Okay. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have that information right in front of me, but I can uh, follow up and get that information. Uh, unless David Parrish, unless you remember that number, it just uh, when I looked at my guidance document earlier, I hadn't written that one down. Okay, good. Uh, any more questions? One or two more, and we're going to wrap her up here. Other questions for Rowan Wrangler? Well, I well I'll tell you me. what, I really. I had to start, okay, go a ahead. comment for the group. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I've done just a very little research into indigo egg. I would make sure and do my do thorough research. There you go. <laughs> okay. Good to know, Dan. Thanks. Uh, Dave, this, do you have something to say? Yeah, I was just going to follow up. I was trying to get on off mute. Uh, but for for our project here in North Carolina with the heavy rye, uh, our, our specialists, our NC State specialists that are working with this that Rachel mentioned, Dr. Collins, um, they were recommending uh, 90 pounds here in North Carolina, 90 pounds seed rate. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Well, thank you everybody for joining today. And thank you, Rowan and, and Rod, Michelle, David is also tuning in. I really appreciate it. And we, I think as farmers appreciate what you're doing because I can see this is, this is more than just cotton. Uh, there, I don't know if there's any cotton farmers on this, on this webinar today, but it does have implications uh, to any crop that we grow. I see this from my perch. A lot of us have heard about the General Mills and how they are behind very, very similar type uh, strategies and efforts and so forth. And you mentioned Camel Soup and, and other uh, companies. So we're, we're, uh, we thank you for what you're doing 
Uh, I'll, I'll speak as a farmer here. Thanks for what Rangler's doing. Keep up the good work. Let's work at this together and uh, make a better planet. And Steve, um, next time yeah. we get together, I will be checking uh, your genes to see you if you're okay. wearing the, the rooted collection. I will try. I will. I will. I will try to oblige there for you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Any That's any closing good. words, Rowan? Can you top that, Rowan? Any closing words? <laughs> well, I kind of stole the thunder, but no, I, I you know, I just I appreciate you guys uh, very much. This is uh, yeah. when Steve invited us to talk. I said yes, absolutely. There's no place I'd rather be. So, really, um, right. you know, hats off to all of you. You're, you inspire us, and and you know, keep yeah. up the good work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Stay curious. Keep learning. Uh, we'll see y'all next week.